Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be at today. Luke chapter 10. You know, in our American culture, one of the most confusing things for many people is our U.S. Internal Revenue Service Income Tax Code. Stop and think about it. Uh, Probably most of us do not fully understand it. There's been a few who maybe do kind of understand it. I have been told, because I've never been audited, knock on wood. If I get audited, it's one of your faults, because you guys will call some auditor or something, audit my preacher. Um, I've been told you can take two auditors and put them in the same room and look at the tax code, and they come up with two different answers. Some of you are nodding your head. You're like, yeah, I've heard that and been around that, experienced that before. And then you can even take what those two task auditors would say, and you could ask for another review or an appeal, and somebody else would rule differently on maybe your tax situation. Because our tax code in America is quite confusing. According to Forbes magazine, magazine in 2013, uh, the tax code surpassed 4 million word mark. So who's read all that? And who really has understood all of that? In fact, the tax codes have become so complex that these auditors even struggle to know exactly what it means when you read the tax code. It's burdensome in its complexity. And Luke 10, as we get into this today, continuing our series, Jesus Stories, looking at the parables, Luke 10, the leaders of ancient Israel did the same thing with their religious system. They made it so difficult that many were having a hard time understanding what exactly does God want, exactly what does he teach, and what exactly is his laws. They made excessive laws to govern man's relationship with God, so excessive that people were confused. The growing burden of religious regulations had increased to the point where even the experts in the law struggled to understand it at its core. One legal expert, a lawyer in the area at the time, asked Jesus what matters most. Jesus, which is the most important? And Jesus responds with, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And from that lawyer's question about who his neighbor is comes the parable of the Good Samaritan as Jesus then breaks that down and says, here is what I'm trying to say to you. The parable is told about a man who stopped to help out another. A man that had been ambushed, had been beaten, had been left for dead. Others had hurried by because they were too busy along their way, and they passed right on by. And the Samaritan, who's on his way to Jericho, uh, stops and encounters this, this, this man lying on the ground, this Jew, and a Samaritan, who is hated by Jews, stops and helps him out. Now, no thoughtful person can read the account that we're going to get into today Nobody can look at that without asking himself or herself, which person am I most like? Am I more like the priest? Am I more like the Levite? Or am I more like the Samaritan? And so today as we go through this, I want to encourage you to put yourself into Jesus' story here, the parable, and really wrestle with, who am I? The concluding statement that Jesus wraps up with to this lawyer is go and do like, likewise. In other words, he hits him right in the gut with the truth and says, this is what I'm teaching you, now will you go and do it? And each and every one of these parables we're looking at during the month of July 
deals with us putting Christ at the center of life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and am I going to go do it? Am I going to be a doer of the Word? And so we are forced to stop and think, to take a personal assessment of our attitudes and our actions towards humanity and to do something about it. The parable confronts us with and demands us to make a decision about the command that Jesus gives. So today we dig in a little deep as we look at this text. Are we or are we not going to love our neighbor as ourselves? Let's look at the text together. Luke chapter 10 verse 29. We first see the religious concern. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 29, this self-justifying lawyer. The one who's digging in, the one who's challenging Jesus with the, and knew the excellent uh, instructions, wanted to know how inclusive is this idea, the love of God demanding to be? What is this all idea of love your neighbor? But he wanted to justify himself, so he says, well, who exactly is my neighbor? He's trying to put Jesus to the test, so to speak, like, okay, is my neighbor just a person I live next to? Is my neighbor the person across the street? Who exactly is my neighbor? This question was asked by this legal expert, a lawyer. Now, I'm sorry, lawyers, but you all make things difficult sometimes. Those who work in a law world, they want to debate things. They want to turn words around. I could tell them that I have a blue object in my hand, and by the time we're all done, they'll say, no, that's a pink object. If you ever had interaction with lawyers, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Now, lawyers, you're okay because us preachers are going to get picked on in this story here in just a minute. But they were wrestling with that. And he's like, oh, the 600 laws. Over 600 Jewish laws of the Old Testament. Which is the greatest? And Jesus summarizes it down to two. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Implicit in this question is desire to limit who could be desired or considered as the neighbor. And so Jesus answers this question by telling this famous story about the Good Samaritan. And then he concludes with, now you go and do likewise. Jesus answered with a parable that stopped to help out another. We find in verse 30, a man had been beaten, had been ambushed, had been left for dead. He was robbed. And Jesus replied and said, a man was lying down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now Jesus is, is describing what was known to be a very normal trip in that culture, in that area, that would take them through the mountains, and they would travel about 17 miles, but if they fell off the edge, it would fall 3,300 feet approximately to their death and route from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road winded through many different twisting turns and passes. There was large rocks. There's lots of areas where robbers and, and bandits could hide out and, and attack a traveler. And a gang of cutthroats attacked this man. They strip him and they beat him. Now, robbers in the Middle East in that time 
were known to not beat their victims unless they resisted them. So they would pop out around the rocks and say, hey, you have money. Oh, you have gold. Oh, you have oil. Give it to us. And maybe you're traveling by yourself or just one or two people with you. Give it to us. If not, then there would be a fight would ensue. And they know because this man was beaten, he probably stood and had something that he didn't want to give away. And so he's lying on the ground, beaten, half dead, robbed, lost most of his clothes. Fellow travelers then soon come upon him. Why is that? Because this is a road that was normally traveled. And so this man comes through. And I'm sure probably laying there on the ground thinking, oh, man, hopefully someone comes to help me. It's kind of like us maybe being stranded on the side of the road with a flat tire. You start thinking, oh, I hope someone stops to help me. I hope someone will help me get my car started, help me take care of this flat tire. I'm sure if he had any thoughts about him, he's thinking someone's going to be coming soon. And in verse 31, a priest happens upon the man, and he passes on the other side. A priest was a descendant of Aaron. He was the highest official in the Jewish religion. And this priest hurriedly comes along, sees a man on the side of the road who's been beaten and left for dead, and he notices him and says, nope, I'm going to go this way. And doesn't even stop to take the time to care for this man lying on the side of the road. The bleeding man may have looked dead, but rabbinical law required him to bury any corpse that he had found. And so he's probably thinking, well, hopefully he's still alive. And similarly, then in verse 32, a Levite didn't care about the dying man either. Our text says, he passed by on the other side as well. Another potential source of aid is heading to Jericho carry out business or maybe carry out ministry. And the Levites, a descendant of Levi, carried out the most mundane task of religious worship and operation. And the religious priest helper saw that man, saw, sees him lying in the road, sees that he's been beaten, sees that he's bleeding, and he doesn't take the time, and he stops, and he moves on and keeps going. Now, that's religious leaders, because sometimes us preachers are just as guilty of ignoring those who have a need. And so in this account, we're put in here, see the lawyers, oh, what's going on? You see religious leaders, oh, I'm not going to love the way God wants me to love. But we all fit in that story. We all question God. God, do you really mean that? God, did you really say that? God, what does that really mean for my life? Does it really apply to me? Well, that applies to them, but it doesn't apply to me. We've all been there. We've all done that. What happened is they're on their journey and they see this man and their schedules are so full and so busy they don't take the time to stop. They must have an appointment going on. They're thinking about religious duties. They're thinking about what's next. They're not thinking about what's happening right then. Possibly both of them had appointments that were important. Some of them could have said, well, you know, he's not of, of, of who I am, so we're going to move on. Maybe he's a different culture, a different race, or what I see here could be kind of trouble. And for whatever reason, they see this robber or this man who's been waylaid by robbers laying there and says, I'm ignoring it. And so we have two religious leaders with no concern. They failed the love test. They failed the love test. Now, let's see the compassion. Verse 33, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, oil, uh, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Now, a Samaritan made his way down to Jericho encountered this man who was wounded, the Jew, lying along the side of the road. 
Others hurried on by, went on the other side of the road, went on about their affairs. But a despised man, a Samaritan, he was known as a half-breed. Now, in today's culture, there's no way you would refer to somebody like that. But it's kind of the scum of the earth, so to speak, kind of the this, this scum of the earth. They were hated by Jews. And if anyone would have been expected to pass by, it would have been him. Like, I'm not going to stop for that Jew, because they all hate me. They don't love me. Could things get any worse? But he saw this hopeless, afflicted man, but unlike those before him, he was filled with compassion. And his compassion will cause him to perform six actions towards this injured man. Compassion will rearrange your priorities. Compassion will make you walk away from your schedule. Compassion will blow up whatever your agenda is in the day. The good Samaritan dismounted his animal, and he decided that where he was going wasn't as important as where he was in that moment. Stop and think about that, church. We tend to think of, what am I doing later this afternoon? What do I have going on this evening? What's going on tomorrow? Where am I heading? What's next down later down the week? And many times we forget or we totally miss what's happening right now, right in the moment that I'm in. And we miss opportunities that, that God brings our way. An interruption in your day or an interruption in your life just might be a divine appointment from God. He says, I have something for you to do. I have love to be demonstrated. God's will comes to us in strange ways. Oftentimes, it's in the form of an interruption. How often, though, does an interruption happen and we go, oh, I didn't want that to happen. Oh, I don't have time for you. Oh, I got this going on and that going on and that going on. All the time, well, maybe the interruption was God's plan. Just think, just think when we, our duties are done for the day, and we've settled in for the night. We're like, okay, I'm going to chill. I'm going to kick my feet up. And, and the phone rings. Or someone comes knocking at your door. And you start thinking, I mean, I just wanted a peaceful night. I had plans to watch that television show. I had plans just to have quiet. I had plans just to read a book. And many times those interruptions annoy us and bother us. And we don't want to engage with them. What are you doing with those interruptions? I think we should take them as opportunities being sent from God. Opportunities that God says, I, I have something for you to do, to listen to them, to see what the real need is, to, to show love and to help them on their journey and toward intimacy with God. We had some divine interruptions this week in the church office. I, strange week in the church office. We don't have very many calls for, for financial need. Every now and then we'll get a call Benevolent needs, hard to size up. Is that really need? Does someone really need the help? Or are they just kind of playing the game, bouncing around from church to church? And it's difficult at times. I'm glad that Kelly has more compassion than I do. She handles a lot of those calls. But because of that, it kind of creates you callous to un unusual calls or unexpected calls. And this week, we're preparing, I'm preparing for this text. And we have three situations of being very unusual. First one, a man called and just uh, said, hey, I got your church name. I was told if I call you, that uh, you guys would give me a Bible. So what do you think we did? Gave him a Bible. Guy called and he said, I'll be by around 11, 1130. If that works out, we said, we'll do that. And we found a Bible that we had laying around here that hadn't been used. And we said, all right, that needs to go to that man. And we gave him a Bible. A lady called. <clears throat> she said, um, my husband and I are moving to Lexington. My husband's been working in Georgetown. I'm handicapped. We need help emptying up our truck on Thursday. You know what my first thought was? 
This is truth. Confession from the preacher. My first thought was, is we are not a moving company. That's where my first thought was. And then God went, what are you preaching on this week? And so, this Thursday at 11 o'clock, we're going to be unloading a truck and helping a lady move into her apartment and her husband and Lane contacted some teenagers. We could use some more help if you're available this Thursday because we got her email and I emailed her and said, okay, here's what we're figuring out. And she replied and said, oh, yeah, can you help with putting beds together and doing this and doing that? I thought, we have teenagers going over there. So if some of you adults are available, we could use a couple more hands this Thursday and help us out. And then there was a third interruption this week. I wasn't exactly here for this, but came in the office the next day, and Kelly says, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what did you happen? She said, I was going out, locking up the church at 4 o'clock. She said, and I noticed this lady out near the front door is an elderly lady just kind of wandering, looking confused and worn out. And I went over and talked to her and said, ma'am, can I help you? She said, well, I'm looking for a parole office. Now, again, I'm thinking, we're not the parole office. Now, some of you may need to go there, but this is not that place. Go and look for the parole office. Kelly said, I don't know where the parole office is around here. She said, come on inside. And she brought her inside and got her out of the heat and said, let's find it. And then they got on, she got online and looked at the parole office and found out that the parole office is right over here on Mercer Road. I didn't know that. And the lady was so appreciative that Kelly took the extra time to just figure out where's the parole officer and get her pointed in the right direction so she could go visit and help her son who was dealing with some legal issues of his own. Now, those are small things. Small things that become interruptions. That many times we see those interruptions and go, I don't have time for that. But in that, I hope those people each see the love of Christ. Small, some things. Now, I don't know if I wasn't dealing with this sermon text this week, if we would have dealt with those exact same way, to be honest. Because sometimes you do, you move on and go, I don't know, we have the time. You know, one Christian writer said, love is the duty of the present moment. Love is the duty of the present moment. What's happening right now? How can you respond to love? No matter what else we may have planned, love is our duty. That's our duty. The machinists have strict set of rules for machining their products. In one machine shop, the lathe was turning out camshafts, and the finished machining had to be exactly correct because the camshafts were be used inside of airplanes one of the notes on the lathe read, remember that the warmth of the hand will change the diameter of the shaft. The warmth of the hand will change the diameter of the shaft. Now, I'm no machinist. I don't know how any of that works. The machinist working the lathe cars out this large shaft, which was going to be placed in this airplane, had to be measured out perfectly for the airplane engine and reminded that the warmth of your hand will change the diameter of the shaft. Why? Because if that shaft's not made right, that airplane's not going to function correctly. And all of us want the airplane to function correctly when we're getting on it, right? If the warmth of the hand can change the diameter of the shaft, think of how the warmth of the hand or the warmth of the heart can change a life. Think about how someone's life can be changed because they can come to know Jesus because of the warmth of somebody who says, I'm going to allow interruptions. Verse 34, the compassionate man pulled the man out of the ditch, restored the dying man to life, and came and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them for medicinal purposes, and he put them on his, on his own donkey, and he brought them to an inn and take care of them. 
took them all the way all the way there. The Samaritan's compassion is demonstrated in the first aid he rendered, then in transporting the severely injured man to a place where he could better care for him. And so he helps him on the side of the road. He sacrifices, uses his own donkey. Then he stays with the man and takes him the rest of the way in the journey to get him to an end to a safe place, taking care of his wounds. He bandages it all up. And, and, and takes care of him, and his compassion was translated into action. Love in action of what's happening in the moment. Medicated those wounds, took care of him, and he used all of his resources available to him to take care of this man that was not of his culture or his race or his religion. Matter of fact, a man that possibly was part of the Jews who hated the Samaritans. God places severely beaten and hurting people in front of us all the time. Do we have the eyes to see them? Do you notice them? Some of them are desperately lonely. Some feel rejected. Some are discouraged. Some worry about persons they love. Some resent circumstances which interfere with their personal ambitions. Some are very angry at the world. Some have physical handicap. Some people who hurt are decent, upright, conscientious, hardworking, while others are considerably less than worthy. Some are from one cultural group or from one educational level. Some are from other groups. But human hurts knows of no such distinctions. They're placed in our path all of the time. Are you open to an interruption in your life? Are you willing to show love and action? See, most people will feel compassion towards selected individuals. We'll feel compassion toward people who are like us or who are similar to us or are in the same financial status with us or same educational status or same racial status than us. In this story, all that's blown to pieces. It's all blown to pieces. Have you felt the pain of somebody lately and tried to relieve their pain? What does it cost? It costs compassion. It takes toll on maybe your emotion. It drains some of your energies because it takes forces that you have to use and it sometimes it causes you to suffer. It may be a financial cost. It surely will cost your time. It costs making ourselves vulnerable to the distresses of somebody else. His actions, they're not easy. But if it was easy, then everybody would demonstrate love in action. Not easy, though. We must pray for spiritual strength necessary and ask God, God, will you open my eyes? God, will you help me to respond, respond with compassion? Verse 35, the Samaritan covers the man's expenses for that week. It says, on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend will I return when I return, I'll repay you. And so the Samaritan recruits the innkeeper, says, hey, you got to help me out here a little bit. But he also makes a promise and says, I'm coming back and I will repay you. The good Samaritan gave the innkeeper sufficient money, two days labor, to provide care for a recovering traveler for several days. It took a half a denarii per day to take care of that man's needs. He promised the innkeeper, if there's anything extra, I'll come back and I'm going to give you more money. Charge it to me. I'm going to take care of this guy. There are people all around us suffering, church. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are distressed. Moved with compassion for their pain. Let's be people who will stop to help. Let's be people who will say, all right, I know, God, this is an interruption in my day. 
God, I know this is messing up my time right now. God, I have all these plans. But compassion is always active. Always active. The priest and the Levite, they had opportunities to serve. Yet, given the chance to put their faith in action, they failed. They failed the love test. They had their reasons. Refusing to love always has its reasons. And usually the reason is, I'm busy. Usually the reason is, I don't have the, I don't have the funds. Or maybe, I don't have the knowledge. But are we open to let God guide us and direct us? We too regularly, regularly have similar opportunities before us, church. They're before us every day. It, it may be a question someone asks. It, it may be a doubt that someone expresses. It, it may be loss that they suffer. It may be ministering to a physical need. The question is not, will I have opportunities to serve? But the question is, what will I do when they arise? opportunities to serve, opportunities to express compassion, opportunities to show love, they do come. What are we going to do when they arrive? Will I be ready when I'm called upon? Will I be like the priest and Levite who looked and left? Or will I be like the Samaritan who saw and served? It's easy to look and leave. It's easy to look and just say, I'm out of here. It's harder to see someone's need and say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to step into this situation. What's God saying to us, church? Who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Needs a kind word. Needs an arm of friendship. Needs an act of encouragement. Jesus calls us to show love and compassion to others as we love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. Remember, your love for your neighbor is proof of your love for God. Don't miss that. Our love for our neighbor is proof of our love for God. If we don't love our neighbor, then what are we telling God? It's a good question to think on. Lastly, we see in this story the compassion, the call of compassion. Jesus then asks the lawyer the obvious question. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Which of these three was the neighbor? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, the neighbor was the Samaritan. The neighbor was the one who who demonstrated compassion. And the lawyer notices that. What would you have done on that day? If we were in that, I said this story, we are in this story. Where would you have been? It would have been, man, I'm so busy, I'm moving on. Man, I don't know how to heal someone's wounds. Or I'm afraid of blood, I'm moving on. I'm not sure what to do. I'm out of here. Or would you have been the one that stopped, bandaged the wounds, helped the person on the journey? You ever seen that show, What Would You Do? Uh, Friday nights on ABC, and they record people with these little made-up scenarios we caught a few minutes the other day. That's one of these situations. If the camera is rolling and it shows the evidence, where would you be at in this story? What would you do? What would you say? If you're too busy to reach out to those who are hurting, then maybe you're just too busy. See, we tend to jam-pack our calendars with being inflexible. We're tightly organized. We have our written-out schedules. We know exactly what we're doing, where we're going, why we're going. And then if something interrupts, we're like, I don't have time for that. And if we don't have time, maybe we need to back down life a little bit to allow some margin in life, to say, God, I have some margin, so when you interrupt it, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to serve. 
Ask God to help you begin thinking and acting like Christ. Don't miss the opportunities to serve. It's one of the best ways to show the love of Jesus is by serving. The Bible says love can be seen and touched and it's tangible. It, it may be as big as an injured man along the road like we're talking about or it could be as simple as just giving a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus. And you may give without loving. But church, I got to tell you, it's impossible to love without giving. It's impossible to love without giving. Giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving of your finances, giving of your energies. It's impossible. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. People don't care about what you say. They care about what you do. Verse 37, the lawyer gave the only credible answer, and he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus tells him, then you go and do the same. You go and show mercy. The lawyer states that the man who had mercy was the one who proved to be a real neighbor in a household of faith. To love God is to love your neighbor. And then the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers, the person in desperate need that I'm placing in your path is your neighbor. From this parable, there's derived several important principles concerning neighbors and what it means to love them. Obviously, a neighbor is not necessarily someone whose home is near ours. Because a lot of times we think of a neighbor, well, who do I share a fence line with or who's across the street? Or sometimes maybe we think a neighbor in my workplace. There's three criteria I see in this account to know someone's a neighbor. One is someone whose path has crossed the path of the Samaritan. So the, someone who has come into contact with you, someone who has come into your path they become your neighbor. Two, he had a real need. The Samaritan saw that the guy had a need for sure. It was clear as day that this guy is hurting. This guy needs some help. And I, he's now in my path. And three, the Samaritan had the ability to meet the need. And when God brings someone into your path, you see they have a need. And you're like, I can probably help make that need, meet that need. Then we are to respond with love and compassion and stepping into that need. And since all three of these criteria were satisfied, there is an obligation for them to do likewise. It was such action that we love our neighbor. Such action we love our neighbor and the same we love ourselves. It's doing what we would want to have done for us. If roles were reversed, how would we want people to respond? If you're down on your luck, if you're struggling, you need a word of encouragement, you have a, a, a challenge, how would you want someone to respond to you? Now, there's still something more to it than that, though. Interesting account in this scripture is the word love, which the Lord spoke of here. The actual word here is agape love, which is the strongest, deepest, unselfish love. It serves the best interests of a recipient without regard to any benefit for the one who loves. I mean, it's, that's the love. And in a highest sense, therefore, the genuine love for one's neighbor would mean seeking the will of God in and for the one who is loved. And we're doing it with agape love. The agape love that comes from Christ. The irony is attended by Jesus as he asks the Jewish lawyer to follow the example of the Good Samaritan. Go and do the same. 
means live a life of compassion, particularly toward the hurting I place in your path. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus promises God's mercy to those who show mercy. And as we move through life, we're challenged to respond to the hurts of people, but not just with a simple love, but with the love of Christ, the agape love. Because when we're called to love God and love our neighbor, what is the point? God wants our neighbors to know who he is. And they know him best when they see the love of Christ demonstrated to them, shown to them, given to them. A Jewish priest and a temple assistant saw the man crossed over the road the other side. Let me ask you, are you too busy today to care for the needs of others? Are you so preoccupied with being good or right instead of doing good that you're missing opportunities that God places right in our path. Church, one of the best ways to bring the gospel to this world is through love that's in action. Through seeing, hurting, and helping people. Remember, nobody was busier than Jesus, yet Jesus stopped and responded to people's needs. The parable of Good Samaritan, I think, confronts three philosophies of life. First, it's the philosophy that what's yours is mine and I'll take it. You have something I want, it's mine, I'm going to get it. The second philosophy is what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Belongs to me, it's mine, I'm going to keep it for myself. And the third philosophy, the Good Samaritan was, what's mine is God's and I'll share it. Now we probably fall with one of those three philosophies, probably live somewhere in there. I would hope that most in this room are not what's yours is mine and I'll take it. Maybe that's been part of life in the past. But two and three... What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. It's my time. It's my agenda. It's my schedule. It's my life. I'll do what I want to do with my life and my time and my schedule and my agenda. Or what's mine is God. It's God's time. It's God's schedule. It's God's agenda. It's not my life. My life is his life. And I want him to live through me. Are we concerned about the needs of others? Do we hold on to what we have and fail to share it. The challenge to be compassionate is ours. That's the call of the gospel. This week as I was preparing this, I was reminded of a video that we posted on our Facebook page several months ago that really depicts what I'm talking about here today. Very pointed video. And so I want to close this morning with you watching this story about Noah. 